0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing our watch through of the magicians, and we'll be looking at season three, episode 10, The Art of the Deal. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens? Sure.
1: Julia and Fenn talk to Irene McAllister, who agrees to give them a necklace that she used to control her fairies if they give her a fairy. Boo. They make a deal with the Fairy Queen to release the McAllister fairies, who she didn't know still existed on Earth. But once they learn that the collars they wear are permanent, the Fairy Queen breaks the original contract the fairies made with the McAllisters, breaking their bonds and giving the free fairies the chance to kill all the McAllisters but Irene. In Fillory, Alice, Quentin, and Josh search the throne room for the sixth key, as Quentin works through his trust issues with Alice. Elliot and Margot find out that Fillory under Tick is at war with the Lorians and the Floaters, so they bring the leaders of both to negotiate, threatening and seducing them with promises of alliance once they've regained the power of magic. In the Underworld library, Penny is shackled to a library cart and forced to shell books for a billion years. He finds out about the Metro cards that are given to people who are ready to move on from the Underworld, but after he manipulates an emotional soul into giving his up, The god Hades takes Penny aside and promises him a great destiny if he only accepts his new position. Penny decides to give the Metro card to Sylvia instead of using it himself and agrees to join a book club with his co-workers.
0: (laughs) I want to be in that book club. I
1: super want to be in that book club.
0: Penny's there, I'm there. Exactly. So what were you thinking is magical this episode?
1: I appreciated Fen's use of emojis in this (laughs) episode. Not only her excitement in getting to learn how to use them, but her excitement that there's a knife emoji that she keeps using.
0: Yeah, her continued love of weapons, like knives and daggers and stuff, is just very amazing for Totally, her character.
1: Yeah. There's obviously some great lines, particularly in the underworld, as Penny's <laughs> there. Uh, when Howard says, we shackle people of all races... Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's like, why do you want me to join your book club? Because I'm brown and shackled.
1: Exactly. It's like, no,
0: we shackle people of all races. Oh, such a good line. It is a
1: very good line. And Penny's like, you see how that's not better, right? <laughs> and then she's
0: like, I mean, it kind of is better. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it is in a way.
1: It's like, I guess it's bad that there's more people shackled, but it's still worse to have that shackle being racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We also have Penny say, why haven't we hijacked that long pig (laughs) (laughs) when he finds out what the Metro is?
0: (laughs) A very magician's line. Yes,
1: absolutely. And then I I liked that we had a moment where Josh gets to react to Victoria's death. He is a character who's been out of the loop and Mm -hmm. this is a death that occurred that would impact him. And, you know, I think that there's probably a version of this show that moves past that because they just have so much to get to. And Mm -hmm. Josh is only recently becoming a part of the core group. Mm -hmm. But here they give him the space to actually, you know, even though we don't know much about Victoria, we know that they had a relationship. And so this would be impactful for him. Yeah. And then finally, I just want to take a moment to appreciate Stella Maeve's performance as Julia when she is talking to the McAllisters about the fairies and about being happy to enslave them and find them to treat them as inhuman because you can so see the pain that she is experiencing saying these awful things. You know, her her eyes even tear up a little bit. Mm,
0: But also, like, the disgust she has for the people she's talking to.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's not so obvious that you're like, how do they not notice, Mm -hmm. you know? But when you know to look for it, it's really, really clear. And uh, yeah, that's a really hard thing to do as a performer, Mm -hmm. to be performing a character who's performing Mm -hmm. and being able to show both of those levels, but also make it believable in both of those levels. Uh, And I think she does an exceptional job there.
0: Totally. Because oftentimes when you see that sort of thing... The characters performing, but in a very comical way. Yeah. But you can't do the overboard because <laughs> it's not comedy here.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, those those were my magic moments. But what were yours?
0: Another line when Margot and Elliot are trying to do this diplomacy with these two other rulers, <laughs> and her telling him. We need to split them up before your man is arranged to marry my child bride. It's just, yes, this is what they're dealing with. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that was quite good.
0: I also love Penny being the popular one. Like Penny being finally appreciated for the wonder that he is you know, Howard wants him to join his book group. And then when he finally does Kathy, we've never met Kathy. We know nothing about Kathy, but she's so excited. She's like, he supped me. It's just like I always imagined. (laughs) (laughs) Which means, yeah, some of these people have read his book and are a fan Mm -hmm. of him, (laughs) which is just excellent. Yeah. Because Penny is great and he is so underappreciated among the living
1: mm-hmm.
0: but is not underappreciated by the not living and the fact that Hades finds Penny fascinating and tells him that pulls him aside and breaks his own rule of not interacting very closely with the people in the underworld because he just finds Penny fascinating. hmm And, you know, I I could also ship that relationship because, again, any relationship with Penny is a fascinating one. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I just loved him finally being appreciated. And even Sylvia, you know, trying to make amends, like, she doesn't want him to be mad at her. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Finally, everything centers around Penny. Mm -hmm.
1: As it should always.
0: Exactly. I also, the whole diplomacy aspect, even though they're not official rulers of Fillory anymore, they're still going to try to prevent war Mm -hmm. because they still care about Fillory, and they still have relationships with these two other rulers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting that these two other monarchs respect them enough to even have those meetings and make agreements, even though these aren't the official rulers. It's just, yeah, it's a really interesting um, aspect. And I think part of that is probably because of how much Elliot and Margot care Mm -hmm. in ways that other rulers haven't always. Certainly Martin didn't. Mm -hmm. And Tick Pickwick is, you know, questionable, even though I agree with his aims that Hillary shouldn't be ruled by these colonizers, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And also just Elliot and Margot being as savvy as they are yeah, and effective as they are, even when they have no power, (laughs) they don't even have their magic, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Just the promise of them getting magic back Mm -hmm. is, they use uh, such powerful leverage here.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I think we need to take a moment to acknowledge Elliot's see-through bejeweled tunic.
1: <laughs> yes, that's true. You did acknowledge it while we were watching oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, but we needed to take a public
0: moment to <laughs> yes, acknowledge of because course. It's...
1: You can pause the podcast here and go take a look at yeah, it and come back.
0: It's fantastic. <laughs> the last thing I was thinking about that I was appreciating a lot was the difference between Quentin and Julia here than how Quentin has treated Julia in the past.
1: Mm.
0: Julia is, you know, was saying, I'm sorry, I can't help with the quest because I'm trying to see this thing with the fairies through and this is important. And he was just like, you know, do whatever you have to do. That's fine. Whereas in the past, it would be like, well, do whatever you have to do. I don't know yeah. why you're fighting me. I don't know what you're doing, making the wrong choice, you know, and kind of condescending or patronizing. And yeah, he, here, I think it does show some growth that he is taking her more seriously like he always should have.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It definitely felt, was a moment where I felt like he was being a supportive friend, Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time exactly that's <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not as common as we'd like especially between the to two Julia, of
0: them yeah. <laughs> I mean and especially because she's the only one who has magic mm-hmm. you know, things would be a lot easier with the quest if she was involved but she's also right to be like uh this slavery situation is more important totally but why don't we move into our next section which is setting in society what were you noticing?
1: well first off I just have to talk about what Penny's doing, because Penny is just reshelving books. I mean,
0: throwing books around? (laughs) I mean, yeah,
1: badly. (laughs) Purposefully. (laughs) He's like, you know, gotta make this interesting. But it is also like, how many books are unshelved and shelved in this library? How often is this library used? Because the thing about the other library branches is that we've seen them be pretty... Exclusive in who can take those books and who can use those books. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just kind of, it opens up questions about like, okay, outside of the big machinations and the issues that we've seen with the library, you know, trying to keep power, using fairy dust, keeping books hidden, things like that. Like, what is the day-to-day operations of the (laughs) library? How many people actually have a library card and are able to take these out? Is there more in the underworld because... Because the library trusts people who are dead a little bit more with knowledge than they might people who are alive. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I legitimately don't know. Well,
0: I mean, if you think about anyone who's dead potentially being able to access those books, Mm -hmm. that is billions of people. So there's a lot more people they're catering to than the libraries for alive people, I would assume.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. But we also don't see any library actually serving alive people, right? We see live people happen to go to the library, but, you know, it's not like we see working as a service the way that libraries work in our society, where they want to be accessible to a community.
0: But also, interestingly, there was that line with Sylvia in the past when they were talking about, well, okay, if it's written in your book, does that mean that it's set in stone? Mm -hmm. And she said... I believe in free will. I saw them reshelve your book 12 times. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting idea too, as things change and as people make choices, are they sometimes reshelving things or are books being added to that would then put them in a different section or, you know, I don't know.
1: That is really interesting. Yeah. And does that mean that the older version of those books get destroyed? Is that knowledge still held in some other repository? Is Mm. it reshelved itself or is it, yeah. Are
0: there different (laughs) editions?
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think these are fascinating questions that obviously the show's not really interested in answering. That's not what the show's about. But But
0: we're interested.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know we were nerdy before.
1: (laughs) The other thing that I want to talk about that we see in the library is Hades in his conversation with Penny where he talks about how magic always comes back. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He says that it's a carrot that gods use to keep humans in check. I think there's some really, really fascinating implications of that statement. For one, it highlights the idea that humans need to be kept in check. Mm -hmm. That humans could perhaps pose a threat to a god. And we've seen our main characters be threats to gods, Mm -hmm. you know, we can kind of see how that's the case, but magic was such an integral part of that, you know, it's just, yeah, it raises questions of, okay, why do gods feel the need to keep humans in check? You know, what are those threats? And then what's the stick, if that's the carrot? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we certainly have seen gods promise and sometimes enact violence or Mm -hmm. horrors against people. So, yeah, I think that the concept of gods being interested in humanity, possibly threatened by humanity, is profound
0: Mm. for the
1: cosmology of this world, this universe. But I think the other thing here that I would have expected Penny to push back on, but we don't really see, is how Hades is basically saying, it doesn't matter, you going back to Earth doesn't matter because mm-hmm. even if it takes thousands of years, magic will come back. Mm-hmm. And I think Penny would think mm-hmm. in this moment, those thousands of years matter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The loss of magic in those years matters, mm-hmm. and that's why he still has these deep connections with people who are alive because that time is going to matter for them mm-hmm. and for many people who come after. and Hades, who is immortal, he can see that time period as not mattering. And I think it goes along with these other gods that we've seen not really caring about mortals. Mm -hmm. And not caring if their lives are awful or if they end shortly um, because they have this long immortal view that then trivializes them. And I think he's trying to kind of say to Penny that once you get the long view of the afterlife, those lives also don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Penny's there yet. I don't think Penny's at a place where he would accept that those lived experiences don't matter just because he is now in the underworld. But I do think that, again, Hades saying that continues to provide some fascinating and compelling material about the relationship between gods and humans and the world and life and death.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like probably Penny wouldn't have been as swayed by that. That, you know, it doesn't matter. It'll come back eventually. Mm-hmm. I think he probably would have been more swayed by some of the other things that Haiti was saying. You know, even one of the first things that he says when he's saying that he's fascinating because he's never seen someone who's like trying so hard to run from their destiny while simultaneously propelling themselves towards that he escaped death so many times and then he sneaks into the underworld and so yeah i kind of wonder if for penny part of it is less about that it doesn't matter for his friends but that there's so little he can do if he went back as an astral projection Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that he could do for them was going to the underworld to get that key and that experience of being just a projection was excruciating for him and here he's being offered as haiti says an opportunity to participate in what happens and like be a part of something
1: totally yeah and i'm sure we'll talk about that oh
0: yes a little bit
1: later (laughs) uh so what you're the one who brought it up okay (laughs) what were your items for setting in society
0: Well, I mean, obviously there's the slavery, which is, I mean, we are familiar with, have read about, you know, have historical as well as current examples and stories about. But yeah, it it is still just so disgusting how the McAllisters are. Yeah, One of them, he literally called dust, like... The powder that they grind their bones into. Because, like, that's all that matters.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he had him since he was 16. But he's been in the family for so much longer. And, you know, this raising kids on the dysfunction and toxic horrors. Just, yeah, how it is a generational problem. Mm -hmm. The type of ideology is passed down and just because it's passed down doesn't excuse the people for not standing up against it of course not but also if that is the norm you grew up with it's so easy Mm -hmm. you know even though it's abhorrent and yet you have someone like lance who was rupert chatwin's boyfriend right standing up against it because he had had that truth key and he was able to see the fairies Mm -hmm. and he was speaking out against it. And that was one of two reasons he was killed for it, you know? And also, yeah, just seeing the attitude of the family, looking at the queen and saying, she's really stunning Mm -hmm. in this like gross way. It's like, ah, I I want to have this stunning thing, you
1: know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. calling her feral?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, so I think that there were some good lines in here for what they're trying to do. Yet, we get from the fairy queen a little bit more about fairies, world building in that way, because she says that. We are spun from divine inspiration, Mm -hmm. the living embodiment of magic. I've come to restore your strength, to help you understand the glory of who you are, which I just think is very interesting um, because the fairies have been this big mystery the whole season and started off as being characterized as just this kind of removed, ominous threat but hearing a little bit more is yeah really interesting yet having that kind of background or at the very least perspective on the background of your people yet having to hide in this realm you create for yourselves because it's mm-hmm. not safe for you anywhere else yeah i th- i thought it was an interesting new layer
1: totally yeah she also says, short memory is a privilege of the oppressor, mm-hmm. which is just another great line. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, clearly the show is is kind of playing with the idea of who is the oppressor, mm-hmm. because in Fillory, they, in many ways, are the oppressor. But here on Earth, it's very different. Yeah. And, so, uh, and, and it sounds like the Fairy Queen maintains a perspective of, on them as the oppressed, whether they... Are the oppressors or not? Right. So both Valorian's and fairies it sound like have that perspective. So yeah, I just some interesting stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did find irritating <laughs> the line when Penny is trying to get the guy to leave his Metro card mm-hmm. when he mentions, "Were you in there with Fran, the woman with two lazy eyes?" That yep. really irritates me. Very ableist. Even the fact that that term is just so ableist and absurd for uh, using lazy for a medical condition Mm -hmm. that's amblyopia, which my father actually had uh, and had to have surgery when he was a kid. And kids are cruel and awful and horrific. And, you know, adults can grow up to be the same, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So just had to call that out as no. No.
1: Good one. Yeah, I, I probably should also mention uh, Fenn's line about how the fairies are, like, traumatized children, and that, like, <laughs> impacts her as a mother, and I'm just, like, I, in my notes, it's just, uh... yeah. It's
0: not not so to gross. say that somebody who had the perspective that all fairies are evil wouldn't then go to a different dehumanizing True. or infantilizing perspective before they would hopefully continue on there journey to
1: yes, be please. better.
0: But yes, yes. Yeah. The, the last thing for the setting in society I just thought was really interesting, the whole secrets taken to your grave. Oh yeah. That it's a research division between the library and the underworld like is just fascinating.
1: Yeah, very, very interesting. And it makes me think about, okay, does that mean that the secrets that are taken to your grave aren't included in your book? on always including your book if they need to be researched. Uh, or
0: I would be thinking probably more so it's how would people themselves describe mm. their secrets? What is their view on the secrets they took to their grave? When the library basically knows everything about them yeah. or all of the like quote unquote important things. But yeah, also maybe because the books aren't as long as every moment of every person's life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Yeah, maybe there are things that the library would not see as important, or the spell that the library has created wouldn't see as important, but is important to these people for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just thought that that was a a very fun little extra thing to add to the world. (laughs) Agreed.
1: Did you also see the sign that says walking feet at all times?
0: No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's just in the background. I'm (laughs) like,
1: is that because ghosts float? Like, (laughs) and you're saying no floating?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or because if it's the underworld, then are creatures from
1: Mm. all
0: of the galaxy, you know, uh, or multiple galaxies, whatever, you know, like coming through here?
1: Good question. Yeah, yeah.
0: But in which case, I'm sure there's some... Beings that don't have feet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe this is specific a specific section where it's like humans <laughs> work with other humans. Mm,
1: yeah, yeah. But uh, the set designers and props department must have had, just had such a good time with the show.
0: <laughs> totally. But why do we move into our next section, which is themes and schemes.
1: Yeah, so I saw a few themes here, kind of talking about, you mentioned the, the fairy queen's speech and how she talks to the enslaved fairies on Earth, it very much reminded me of the idea of being a queen that we've been kind of mm-hmm. hitting on a few times this season. Uh, and that Fen says that they need a queen. They need someone to, to kind of lead them in that way. And the fact that the fairy queen risks herself is, I think, a good example of what she thinks about when she thinks about what it means to be a queen, not mm-hmm. to put someone else in her court in danger. Um, but instead to go out and do it herself, which I don't think, for example, a tick pickwick would do, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,. And her saying that your suffering is my suffering. Mm-hmm. That's not how especially historically monarchs have. Acted, yeah. It's we are above you. We have all of this wealth that we have extorted from you, essentially, and live these very, very cushy lives. And well, the peasants suffer, you mm-hmm.
1: know. Yeah is is the ruler a servant of their people, or the people a ser- servants of their ruler? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was struck by the scene where she first sees the imprisoned fairies and doesn't have anything to say. Mm. She's just quiet and reacting. And that I thought was a, uh, yeah, just a powerful moment for her to kind of see the the conditions that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells Skye to never bow her head, which is, I think, a, another kind of way where she is... Seeing just the way that the culture of these fairies has become one of servitude and of dehumanization. Mm-hmm. And that that sickens her that that's you know obviously a big issue. So, yeah, she gives that that big speech um, to the fairies about where they come from and what their kind of whether it be an actual or mythological origin is, mm-hmm. which I think we see so many times with leaders where, you know, how many presidents have called upon the (laughs) framers and and things like that in their speeches because those kinds of shared myths can have a great deal of power.
0: Let's look to these enslavers (laughs) for what to do.
1: And then she has this big issue at the end where she has to weigh breaking this deal Mm -hmm. or allowing herself and all these other fairies to remain enslaved. This is a a no-win scenario because... For her, fairy magic, fairy power, fairy leverage comes from the knowledge that fairies don't break deals. Even though Julia, for example, says that she won't tell anyone, the magic is broken because Mm -hmm. the deal has been broken and that word will get out in some way that fairies have broken a deal. And so she loses a great deal of the power that she wielded as a monarch for her people in order to deal with the circumstances that she was facing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a, a very difficult decision that a, a ruler has to make that a regular character wouldn't have to. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, the this idea of what it means to be a ruler, what it means to be a queen in particular is, uh, I guess, some really interesting exploration this episode as we see the fairy queen having to make choices. Because usually she has said some cryptic lines while Margot's had to make choices. <laughs> but here, now we see the fairy queen having to, to make many of those choices and illustrate what she thinks it means to be queenly. And yeah, I just, I find that fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then kind of on the same line, obviously with the title of this episode, a huge theme is just the idea of making deals, of making bargains. Obviously there's the bargain with the queen to try to work together to save the lost tribe of fairies on earth but we see a lot of other deals they make a deal with irene the fairy for a necklace quentin makes a deal with alice really to say okay even though i don't trust you we'll work together because you can help us to solve you know this big issue to help us in this quest sylvia reveals that she gave up penny to the library. In exchange for one million years, cut off her sentence. Mm-hmm. Even the the library in the underworld have a deal to for this this room uh, <laughs> of for, of secrets and allowing people to move on. And in a way, kind of Hades is offering Penny uh, a deal as well. Yeah, I think that in many of these ways, we see people in different situations making deals of all sorts. And, and I find in particular. The use of leverage that we have. Uh, Elliot and Margot, for example, don't have anything they can promise at the moment, mm-hmm. but they use the leverage of the possibility of the future. Yeah. Um, or Fen and Julia use the leverage of, why would we do this otherwise if we didn't actually sincerely want to help
0: mm-hmm. for
1: the fairy queen who didn't believe them at first? And Hades is only offering, yeah, a sense of belonging or or destiny. But he's not saying that Penny... Like, Penny's not in a desperate position the way that so often characters are when they have to make these hard deals. Penny's not in a great situation.
0: He had originally made a deal.
1: He had originally made a deal, that's true, when he was in not a great situation. (laughs) But now, you know, he can't die again. Yeah. So Hades is... Really just kind of trying to offer him different pathways uh, that he has to choose. And obviously Hades wants him to choose belonging and picking up his destiny in the underworld. But but because he got that card, that Metro card, he has a great deal of agency, agency here to make what choice he wants.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, love, love that term agency. The mm-hmm. characters have different <laughs> levels of agency that make them different levels of desperate as they make these deals. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's just an interesting comparative look um, with so many deals in this episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, speaking of agency, kind of going back to our previous episode, what did you think about the fairy's agency in this one?
1: Good question. Uh, I mean, we see that it was Dust originally who made the deal with the McAllisters to be enslaved and to have everyone who remains on earth be enslaved in exchange for the majority of the fairies being able to escape that, which, you know, is a bit more of agency than certainly just the humans found out ways to enslave them, though. That kind of seems like it's the background of it. If they had to make that deal in the first place.
0: Well, they were hunting. Them. Yeah. yeah. Whether for power or because they didn't like that they had, so much innate power mm. but as we've talked about previously the continual examples of human magicians trying to use magical creatures as tools and- right
1: yeah and we do see Sky try to convince the other fairies that the queen is a queen and that magic is real and there is possibility for their freedom that they could fight for which I think is a good step but I still think the storyline as a whole has some issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does not have the issues we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a little more there than yeah. previously. Also, I think it's an interesting choice to have the fairies, as soon as they're free of their collars, kill mm-hmm. all of the... Well, besides Irene, all of the people who had enslaved them and... Also, interestingly, because they don't know how to use magic really, even though they can now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so they're killing them with tools, with knives from the dinner table, with those types of things as well.
1: Yeah, and I do think that the first scene where they kill the the uncle, mm-hmm. the representation there, the way it's shot and the way they act, is a little like savage trope kind Mm -hmm. of thing, Mm -hmm. which I think could have been chosen differently. But obviously, yeah, the, you know, I think there is something interesting with the fact that they still, they don't just automatically have control over an expertise of their magic. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there are still some tropes that they're leaning into that are highly problematic there.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of it kind of in the way that, as Julia's watching it, you know, like she had been knocked out and mm-hmm. she sees what's happening on her face. She's kind of horrified. But at the same time, Julie isn't in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. She made some choices, and now they're making some choices, and it's it's maybe not the choices that she would want them to make, but she's okay with that,,
1: mm-hmm.
0: even if Disturbed.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Which,
0: yeah, I don't know. I just found kind of interesting. Not that it corrects all of the other problematic aspects, <laughs> but yeah, I found it interesting.
1: Totally. Did you have other themes and schemes?
0: Yeah, the other main one I was thinking about is Julia and kind of the continuation for of her journey that she started in season one. Mm. Because when the fairy queen's asking her, why. Are you doing this? All of the other humans I've ever interacted with have only sought me for personal gain. And she said that being God-touched is a mixed bag. I choose to do something with that. And I think that that's, yeah, a continuation of her first season. Being magical and then cast out of break bills and then doing some wrong things with the hedges and then being cast out from the hedges and then her trying to make amends. But I think mainly it's in a different way. It's in her still wrestling with the fact that this seed of magic came from Reynard, that it was taken from him and given to her. And she's trying to continue to like make it her own and she's trying to do good with it. Um, because she has it. And she doesn't want to have it, but she does. And, yeah, I think her and her with the free traders trying to heal from the difficult and traumatic and stressful parts of magic by trying to help others with it, Mm -hmm. I think is, yeah, just a way that she has... Continually, I think, endeavored to to do.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was this episode, uh, maybe the one before. But at one point, I was just thinking, like, Julia's just the best character. Like, <laughs> like she, I think, makes at this point the best choices. Like She's the, definitely
0: the best person. Yeah, of exactly. All of
1: them. And so, while obviously I love Penny and Elliot more than I could say, <laughs> just because they're so charming and delightful. She doesn't have the same kind of fun energy, like, that they can bring, mm-hmm. but yeah, her her choices are just so compassionate and thought through and nuanced, and yeah, I, I just appreciate that a lot.
0: Yeah. But what do we move into our next section, which is from another point of view. If I remember correctly, you want to talk about... Penny.
1: I do want to talk about Penny. I mean, we
0: all want to talk about Penny. Of
1: course. I do have a very quick thing on Quentin really quick. Oh, okay. Uh, just when Julia heals his headache mm. and he says, I'm never going to take magic for granted again is just good old delusional Quentin.
0: Such a, Qu- <laughs> Such a Quentin thing to say. <laughs> because great. he's
1: absolutely going to do that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure he believes it at the time. But yeah, uh,
0: he's always taken Penny's magic for (laughs) granted. That's
1: true. true. Uh, So, yes, I think he uh, he is still on his way. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I I mostly wanted to talk about Penny here because I find it really, really interesting how he is conflicted about finding a place of belonging in the underworld because the episode opens with him being asked to join a book club
0: mm-hmm.
1: and him being so frustrated with just the idea of it. I can imagine that, you know, some of this is based off of his experiences as someone who has been probably told that he's interesting before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and obviously we agree with Howard. Penny is interesting. Mm-hmm. He is someone who would be delightful to have in a book club. But...
0: <laughs> it's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I can also understand how for Penny, who has struggled to have deep relationships with people, that he recognizes how dehumanizing that kind of perspective can be. Mm -hmm. Of thinking like, oh, you're just so interesting. But that is making a judgment on him and valuing him for things that in many times were really painful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he talks about his race. You know, he's brown and enslaved, which I think is a, a great example of how, yeah, he is a marginalized by society in mm-hmm. many ways.
0: Yeah. Or, what, do you want me to just be your token brown person mm-hmm. to add some new perspective to your group? You know, he's always going to call out racism towards Absolutely.
1: himself, which, which is great.
0: great. Yeah.
1: I could also imagine that that is also tied to really specific horrible things. Oh, Penny is someone who's been on these amazing quests. Yeah, well, those quests killed him. Those mm-hmm. quests lost him his magic and his hands. And he had to watch someone who he he loves fall apart. Mm-hmm. And he...
0: He had to be groomed by a man trying to end
1: everything. He had to deal with hearing voices his whole life, and his mother abandoning him, and, you know, all these other things that sure make him quote-unquote interesting, and even for us as as a character, it does help make him more compelling, Mm -hmm. but to invite him to something like this, and have it be about actually wanting him as a person... Those things, yeah, become dehumanizing. They become a way of tokenizing him, or of drilling him down into just these traumas that have happened to him. And
0: drilling him down, not boiling him, boiling down. him
1: down, distilling him down. Where
0: are you? Is that a Freudian slip?
1: Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that that he's reacting to something true there, alongside the more thematic aspect of him not wanting to build relationships in the underworld because he doesn't want to stay in the underworld, Mm -hmm. which I think is one of the things that Hades is really talking to him about, that his desire and attempts to continue to go back to life on Earth or whatever life he could find on Earth is itself making him dismiss any possibility of connection or community Mm
0: -hmm. in the
1: underworld or purpose in the underworld. And it's especially poignant for Penny because as we saw after his body died, he did feel unappreciated. He did feel disconnected from people. Katie mentioned how she and him are always outsiders. And Benedict was the only person who cried for him And he struggled with having community, even with these other characters who he spent all this time with. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of him actually having community, a purpose, etc. in the underworld, I think, is so compelling, is so inviting for him that it heavily contributes to his choice to stay alongside, you know, I mean, you mentioned all this earlier, this, you know, his knowledge that going back would be going back to a a life that is physically disconnected from people around him. And that Mm -hmm. the building of those connections is near impossible. And that if this is something that Penny's really wanted and never had, that's something that the unlife of the underworld can give him in this really unique way. And yeah, I just I find Penny a fascinating character who finds a a an interesting purpose in his ending here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he remains himself throughout uh his last look at Hades I found really, really interesting, where he looks at the Metro card and at Hades, and he's kind of weighing both of them. Mm. And he's doing this despite the fact that, like, he doesn't know what the risk is of defying Hades, or going back, or staying. But I think that his his willingness to defy Hades is uh, such a a great element of his character, Mm -hmm. and shows his courage, and his... Giving nature because he chooses to give it to Sylvia. That's just, uh, I just love Penny. I just love <laughs> Penny, and I don't want him to be dead. I want him to be with me around all the time.
0: <laughs> Join our book club, Penny. Exactly.
1: You can come on the podcast.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I, th- I, it's a really interesting moment for him. And, yeah, I wonder how much for him. Also, it could be. At first, he's defensive mm-hmm. when Haiti mentions something that happened in his past, and he's like, "What? You you think because you've read my book, you know me?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: he's he's defensive, and I I can understand feeling like that. Like, oh, these people read my book, and like now they think they know everything about me. That would rub me the wrong way too. Yeah, but."
1: I'd
0: love to rub Penny the wrong way. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> Hades then goes on to show that he does understand Penny, though. Oh, yeah. That
1: Almost he's... as well as Hymen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Someone who's devoted so much time <laughs> to studying Penny. Um, but, yeah, I think... He calls him on that he's always sacrificing himself. Mm-hmm. And part of that is to remind the group how important he is to the group mm-hmm. because he's not treated as important. Yeah. And so I think it's, yeah, it's just a really interesting moment for him because here he has this God telling him he is important. And he can make a choice for what he wants to do, but if he chooses to stay with the Order in the library, he's going to have an amazing destiny. Like, he doesn't tell him what that is, Mm -hmm. but for somebody who has been treated as so unimportant by some really powerful people, and probably shelving books also doesn't feel (laughs) important, at least before when he was collecting books, they were using his traveling. Mm -hmm. But then, here, to have a bunch of people around him think that he is important, and want to not use him, but want to, like, invest in him long-term, not just for... A brief amount of time, not just for a few years of education, but for a billion years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can imagine that would be very strange to him and why he wouldn't believe it at first. Yeah, But be also intrigued by the prospect, and so then his willingness to at least try it out. You know, he can always con someone out of a MetroCard again in the future, <laughs> but him at least willing to try it mm-hmm. um, and to try something that's so different than Penny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't want to care as much as he does. He doesn't want to, you know, he thinks Quentin is making him less cool, you yeah. know, like these different things and... Then he's suddenly surrounded by people who he doesn't have to pretend with as much. He doesn't have to put on that front because they knew them more about him than he even wants them to, mm. you know. Who, which first I think happened with Hyman mm-hmm. and now is yeah, happening with all of these people. Yeah. And so he Agrees to be in this book club, but he's going to agree in a very Penny way. What's your stupid book club reading? <laughs> you know, And Howard just smiles. Mm-hmm.
1: Like. I would too. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting for yeah. him to have people accepting him for who he is.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, Penny.
0: We accept you, Penny.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, who did you bring to discuss?
0: I was thinking about Alice Mm. in this episode a lot. Um, It opens with her and Quentin arguing. Mm -hmm. And she wants to see the book, but he doesn't want to show her. And she says that you trust a heroin addict more than you trust me, because he let her go off with one of the keys, which I think is, you know, rude. But I think that, I mean... Alice can be rude (laughs) and superior and here she's going to show her anger in those ways as well in a rude and superior way but she really is it's anger and it's hurt I think underlying that yeah and her kind of outburst here about not being trustworthy anymore because she partially knows it's true Mm -hmm. because of what she did as a Niffin and even what she did to Julia. Yet, I can imagine that she would be feeling like she's trying so hard in this post-Niffin state, which means, yeah, she gave magic back to Julia after she saw what she did. She... Is trying to do the right thing because magic is scary. hmm And she knows how destructive and evil it can be. And so she's going to say no to helping them get the key in the underworld. Because the side effect of people giving access to magical knowledge to anyone, and she doesn't know who that is, is terrifying to her. hmm I think she's also just so frustrated because, I mean, Quentin, I think, understandably is weary of her as she keeps changing her actions and it's not making sense to him. But from her perspective... How is somebody who's trying to adjust to a human life and body again, but also adjust to not having any magic, how are they supposed to be acting consistently? Because Mm -hmm. that would be an incredibly, incredibly hard process of transition and acceptance and shame and self-hatred and still mourning your father, you know, like all of these things that she's experiencing and he just wants her to make sense to him to be trustworthy but she can't do that because she was a an niffin, yeah. <laughs> and because he knows what she did
1: and i, I can only imagine that, that connects to her complaints from a few episodes ago where she was saying it's just too hard to be around him because he keeps wanting her to be the old alice mm-hmm. and she's not that person anymore And so when she's seeing him, yeah, not seeing her as trustworthy, I'm sure it also connects to he just wants me to be trustworthy like I was back when I was a different person. Mm -hmm. That's what he thinks of as a Alice that he can understand and trust. And I'm not that person anymore. And that would be incredibly frustrating. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and and she says... It's it's not fair for him to be like, well, you didn't want to go on the quest, and now you suddenly do. And she's like, you asked me if I wanted to go on the quest right after my dad died. Mm-hmm. He's like, when you want to go on an adventure, you know, I mean, he probably would. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it would just be so incredibly frustrating. Especially for a character like Quentin, who, when she was, had collapsed because of the magic and everything... And then he's like, oh, stay with you. You know, Like he was getting sidetracked from his quest as well. Mm. And Julia had to be like, no, you go. You're actually not going to help here. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I think the hypocrisy would be really frustrating. And also, it would be really frustrating because she knows what Julia did when she lost her shade. Mm -hmm. And comparatively people pretty quickly trusted her again, even mm-hmm. when she didn't have her shade back because she was trying to do the right thing. And people aren't, well, Quentin especially, is not treating her that way, which, yeah, would just be really frustrating. And I really love that she calls him out on and says, are you the only one who gets to be ambivalent and depressive and scared and hate themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, I just have to... To be sure of everything yeah it's completely unfair it's completely hypocritical she should be able to go through all of those things too and what she's been through is a lot more difficult than anything that quentin has been through mm-hmm. so even though I, I get why he's wary yeah it's just so frustrating because he treats so many things as just the coping for his depression and his self hatred and these things. And for some reason, that's okay for him to do, even if it is negative to people around him.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: she's not allowed to try to cope with, you know, similar feelings she's experiencing. Yeah. Her co- coping is suspect and is, you know, met with judgment. But his for some reason is just fine you know uh so yeah i think it's that was a really good scene and also brought back a little bit of the old alice the Mm. alice going to battle martin and him trying to saying I'm gonna win you back and be like I can't deal with this right now yeah you know and so I I do appreciate how she calls them out and that's something I enjoyed in the the book as well mm-hmm. and so yeah I was just thinking about how angry she would be at the same time just feeling so misunderstood and exposed as her deepest darkest secrets are known and it's a reason that people aren't trusting her or don't want her to be involved and aren't giving her the space to oscillate back and forth between whether she wants magic back or doesn't trust herself with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think it's one of the reasons why Alice is a good foil for Quentin. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean I think they should be in a romantic relationship together. No. But (laughs) I think that her willingness to challenge him and to see him for what he is outside of his narratives um, and to point those out and to not hate him for it but be frustrated with it, I think is something that if Quentin ever is going to address these <laughs> narratives and self delusions that's something that he really needs. Yeah. Absolutely. And Alice was good at that in her first life and yeah, like you said it's it's great to see her still having elements of that here.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's much more the case that he's not healthy for her rather than True. her not being healthy for him. Yeah. But what do we close out this episode by revisiting the title what do you think of the art of the deal
1: i mean it's not great because I mean, of i
0: hate it because of trump
1: exactly and he already was trump when this was made so like yeah it's it's a pretty unfortunate title yeah.
0: i mean i maybe it's they're just talking about the McAllisters.
1: <laughs> yeah that's, that's true
0: but uh, no because there's a lot of deals being made it's yeah that's like, not
1: yeah, and is it's it's has possible that term has, has been around before that book and that book mm-hmm. was using that term the book was using that term because of it, but at this point in American society that book is the first thing comes to mind with this phrase and definitely not my favorite title. Thumbs down. Yeah. All right, well, what's happening next time on the magicians?
0: So, we are going to be continuing with episode 11 23 where we can rest assured that penny is not written out of the show
1: good because i would have ended it right here no more podcast yeah
0: this is gonna be the last episode (laughs)
1: because
0: we don't care anymore
1: (laughs) okay well thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find links to our website our social media and their patreon in the episode description and we hope that you join us for our next monthly meetup. They've been so much fun, so great connecting with our listeners. And so all you have to do is pledge $1 a month and you can join us the first Saturday of each month.
0: And we're going to have so much to talk about in the next
1: one. No kidding. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logos. Confider find design at Lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.